Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about the 1985 Martin Scorsese film, After Hours. Why don't you just go home? I've been asking myself that one all night long. So what happened? Why can't you? I met this girl tonight, okay, in a coffee shop. I feel like something incredible is really going to happen here. <laughs> so when I got home, I gave her a call. On the cab on the way down here, all my money flew out the window. I didn't really get along with her that well. What's the matter? I said, I want to see a plaster of Paris bagel and cream cheese paperweight. Now cough it up. So I left. Gigi! So I haven't got enough money to get home until I meet this bartender who wanted to lend me the money. That's all right. That's all right. Forget it. Forget it. That's all right. Good boy. So I go back to the girl's apartment, but her roommate's really pissed off at me for the way I treated her friend. This the guy? Hi. So I march right in there to apologize. Come on. But she'd already killed herself. I was too late. Oh, wow. Lighten up. What is this? I'm in big trouble. I mean, big trouble. Now this part, you're going to say, oh, you're lying to me. Don't lie to me. But it's true. Mohawk this guy. I couldn't believe that. It's him. Tell him. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. I got to tell who you didn't do what. Help! 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 Call the police. What's with you? Are you nuts or something? Luckily, there was this girl who saw the whole thing. You're dead, pal. And what? So now she's the one in the Mr. Softy ice cream truck who's trying to kill me. They're all trying to kill me. I mean, I just wanted to leave. You know, my apartment, maybe meet a nice girl. And now I've got to die for it, you know? What do you want from me? What have I done? I'm just a word processor, damn it. Is that all they After hours, when anything can happen, and usually does. Is that unbelievable or what? Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddlestone? I do. Um, So, this is from Rotten Tomatoes. In a Manhattan cafe, word processor Paul Hackett, Griffin Dunn, meets and talks literature with Marcy, Rosanna Arquette. Later that night, Paul takes a cab to Marcy's downtown apartment. His $20 bill flies out the window during the ride. Uh, Flying out the window, window during the ride portends the unexpected night he has. He cannot pay for the ride and finds himself in a series of awkward, surreal and life-threatening situations with a colorful cast of characters. He spends the rest of the night trying to return uptown. And as you said, it's directed by Martin Scorsese, stars Griffin Dunn, Rosanna Arquette, Terry Carr, Verna Bloom, Cheech and Chong are in this, Linda Fiorentino. So neither of us had seen this before, and I think you said you had not heard of it even. Never even heard of it. What did you think? It made an impression on me. Um, mm-hmm. He won Best Director at Cannes that year for this. Martin Scorsese oh. did. It I was did nominated know. for the Palme d'Or. Hmm. Didn't win it. 1985 in American cinema. I mean, so many of the movies that we've done on this podcast came out in 1985. A, 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 I... Having lived in New York for 20 years, I get the kind of crazy night 
motif. You know, the the you, you're out in the wee hours of the night in New York, and crazy you meet crazy people, and crazy stuff happens. I think it's dated in really delightful ways, right? The rotary phones and just people's attitudes and what people are afraid of. There, there's, there's burglars breaking into a place, and that's what people are afraid of in New York City. Um, I think that the directing is is he deserves the uh, acclaim that he got for this. It's very well directed. And I don't know that I know enough about directing to talk about specific ways, but the feel of it, the pace of it, the tone of it is very consistent. Some of the shots are really, really gorgeous and interesting. Um, You know, there's a kind of a 1985 thing about it. He's this sort of... Not middle management, but he's just he has this sort of office job. He's a word processor. Oh, and right? let me say real quick, he, he's not even mentioned in because he's only in it for a couple of minutes. But the the him and Bronson Pinchot are the the first people that you see in the movie. I thought that was I'm sure that I don't know exactly when uh, Perfect Strangers started, but you know it would have been right before he became a star. Catherine O'Hara is in this. Mm-hmm. Like you, you'll recognize Cheech and Chong are in this. You'll recognize everybody. It's a great cast. You will recognize. You're like, oh, it's this guy. Oh, it's her. Um, yes, it's an unusual cast, but it's he meets an unusual cast of characters. He's even gets weirder and weirder. But there is this sort of yuppie. Um. Oh, the guy can't catch a break. He's just a nice guy trying to, in every turn, he's being emasculated or confused or abused by some woman. Um, And that all felt very 1985 to me, although I think now, you know, it's not that this movie is about men's rights or anything like that, but it's very much from the perspective of like, look, I'm just a nice white guy trying to have a good time. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. And, you know, mm-hmm. everybody treats me like I'm the bad guy, um, which I thought was really interesting um, to watch in 2023. There's, I, It's not that the lead doesn't do a good job, but I found him not particularly compelling as a lead. I didn't find myself – it's not – his acting wasn't – a problem. I think his acting was good, but I didn't care about his feelings or what was happening to him, which is a major problem for me. Um, he does do some messed up stuff. Like he, he meets this young woman played by Patricia Arquette and she overdoses on pills. And I know this is supposed to be a black comedy, but he goes into her room and assumes she's asleep and is talking to her. And then he realizes that she's dead. And then he's like, Oh, I left my keys at this other guy's place and calls the police and gives them the address and then leaves a note says dead person. I mean, you don't leave a scene like that. That's just not human. I don't care where your keys are. Mm -hmm. People don't do that. So, I mean, I, I feel like in some ways, Calling this a dark comedy strains. I don't know. I don't know exactly where I'm going with that. I've, I've blah blah. What do you What do you think? 
Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, too. And, um, you know, I've said on the show before that I'm not really into some of Martin Scorsese's most popular films because I've never just in general liked mob stuff. Um, I like Taxi Driver a lot. Um, I like Cape Fear. Uh, I liked uh, Shutter Island until I didn't like the ending of Shutter Island. But um, but overall, it's a, it's a good movie. But uh, I mean, I've always thought I've always l- thought he was really interesting as just a, a figure in film. And I mean, I understand the importance of him, but it just a lot of his movies have never you know, connected that much for me. But I thought with this, it was interesting that this is, you know, meant to be comedic. Whereas I have known people before who thought like, uh, Goodfellas is funny. And I'm just like, is it supposed to be funny? I, I never really got, the, you know what I mean? It's just like, it, it never seemed funny to me, but, uh, but anyway, so, so I think it's really interesting to see a director like this do what's meant to be more or less, a straight up, you know, it's supposed to be funny. Um, and I think that's really interesting what you said that he won the, the Palme d'Or and, and that because. Well, he didn't win the Palme d'Or. He, it was, this film was nominated. He won oh, Best okay. Director. Okay. Okay. I see. But it's interesting that, you know, that this is a little too much to say because, you know, this is on Amazon Prime and other, other streamers, but it's almost a lost movie because nobody ever you know it's just like he has so many other beloved films that nobody talks about this movie you know and i just i mean i guess people talk about this because i had seen it mentioned on twitter a couple of times and i thought and i i could remember seeing the um the cover of this as a kid and you know the 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 cover the the poster is a clock and like he's on top of it and i think it's maybe like a woman's hand like pulling on his head or something and it i it looks like a screwball comedy which is not what this is you know what i mean right. it looks it looks like those it would be like an 80s almost sex comedy or something like that and that's yeah. not what this is at all um that lead Although as you said as griffin it's sort of dressed you know. up as it i mean the bits they yeah. do are sort of fit into that but I didn't feel like the tone or, or, you know, I just don't, I'm trying to think of a funny, did, did Scorsese do other comedies? I just, he has, I've never seen the King of comedy. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny or not. Um, supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's not funny. Okay. I mean, it's a um, classic too. Robert De Niro is a comedian in it. It's really actually uh, the fact that Robert De Niro is in Joker is yeah, it's the, a reference it's to the same movie, King yeah. of Comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, it's interesting to me because I think Scorsese is one of the great American, living great American directors. Um, but I don't think comedy's his thing. <laughs> no, and and I mean this is. Uh... I guess it's interesting because this is, even though there's some dark things that happen in this, this is so much lighter than in a, anytime I see a Scorsese movie, I'm just always waiting for the scene where somebody snaps and like beat somebody to death with a hammer or something. You know what I mean? And that's not really this kind of movie, you know? 
Um, no, but it has. I mean, there's streaks of that. People there lose are, there it is some and violence they snap. And, you know, a woman overdoses and the violence is in the people express violent urges towards one another. There, he mm-hmm. goes to a nightclub where it's supposedly Mohawk night and they they kind of grab him and they're going to sh- shave his head into a Mohawk and he's really distressed. And you think, ha, ha, ha. Um, but it doesn't feel funny. The scene doesn't feel funny. He feels, perhaps disproportionately, but he feels like he's being attacked, you know, and it's shot like the violence feels real, the the violence of them holding him down and going to shave his head very explicitly against his... I mean, they're they're being bullies to him, and that's how the scene is shot. It's not shot like a waka waka. <laughs> Isn't this crazy, silly fun? It's... um. It's a Scorsese movie, <laughs> you know. It's very much a Scorsese movie. And, the funny thing uh, about that though is, funny. I think if you if you put this movie on, and without saying it was a Scorsese, if you put this on for somebody and just said and like didn't let them see the credits and just said, okay, who do you think directed this? Like, how many people would guess it was Scorsese? You know, I don't think I would have guessed that he would have been drawn to this material. But I wouldn't have said someone like Rob Reiner, right? I mean, there are comic yeah. directors that really have a sense of that, that more than have a sense. I mean, directors like Reiner, uh, I think, have sort of changed what the American idea of in our lifetimes have, have kind of like Sondheim with the American musical have affected what we think of as a comic film. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I did I enjoyed the movie. I liked watching it. There was a lot I liked about it. Scorsese's one of those New York directors like Woody Allen that loves New York, and their films are sort of love letters to New York. Yeah, uh, that's you what couldn't I was imagine thinking, this film love letters exactly that right being there. set in another city or having you know it, it's everything about it is about the New York experience um, just from the way that people are casually intimate and casually hostile and unfazed by anything. And, and he keeps looping back around, right? I mean, he runs, runs into the same diner and he runs into the same cab driver. And it's like the thing, especially by Act Three, the thing is just completely looped back around on itself when we see Paper Mache again and the guys that rob the place come and rob, and he's wrapped up in the Paper Mache, and then they right. I mean, it just mm-hmm. is this sort of the clock is an interesting thing because I don't. He's not trying. He's just trying to get home and get to bed. But the clock and the poster makes it seem like three o'clock high or something like there's this, if he doesn't get to work by nine, he's fired or something. There's no time doesn't play a particular role in this movie, except that it just gets later and later and he gets more and more manic and frustrated and exhausted and things get crazier and crazier. Why did the mob is convinced that he's the burglar 
but I can't remember why the mob is convinced that there's a couple of guys in an apartment that didn't recognize him. He's in there legitimately for reasons, but they didn't recognize him, and they're scared because there's a burglar running around. Then later, one of their one of them one of their apartments does get robbed, and they spot him in the building again, and they just assume that's the guy. He's the burglar, mm-hmm. and it ends with a kind of a mob chasing him. They don't have pitchforks and torches, but they're like you assume that if they catch him, they're going to beat him to into the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, how did it? How did that happen? Right? Call the police. What and are also, you? I've- I thought was funny. They put up posters, and I wondered who. who and there's a drawing of him of his face, and I thought, who made this drawing? Well, Terry Gar did, right? Oh, that's right. That's he right. He sits yeah. down and she starts sketching him. But that's why? Right. Why she decided? Like she's the one putting up these pictures of him. Why she decided he's the criminal? I missed. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure either. Yeah. So things snowball, but. Maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention. Things snowball, but yeah, yeah it's, it's a really like... weird movie. It's certainly competently made. You yeah. know, we've watched some bad movies um, that are not competently made, and this was competently made. I think it tried to be a couple of different things. I think it tried to be a comedy. I think they decided they had to market it as a comedy. It's not really a drama. No, it's too absurd to be a drama. But it's filmed like a drama. And the comedy is so dark, it's almost sadistic. So I don't know what you would call this movie if you didn't call it a comedy. But I didn't, again, I didn't find it funny. But it was really compelling. It was really interesting to watch. It also falls, it's a comedy and also falls into the you know, there's been a ton of movies made like this, the subgenre of a movie that takes place in one night. Yeah. The whole the whole film is just the course of an entire night. Yeah. Which is, uh, I f- have always enjoyed that subgenre for whatever reason. I, I've always thought that's kind of a neat uh, conceit in films. You know what um, it made me think of was um, the L.A. one about the nuclear... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Miracle Mile. Um, it made me think of Miracle yeah. Mile. That's Excellent. a good comparison. This isn't as dark as that. No, no, it's not the apocalypse, but it is this kind of like frantic, ever, ever increasing, you know, absurdity of, of and people run into each other again. And, uh, you know, it, that's an L.A. film. This is a New York film, but I, they could be sisters. Yeah, yeah, that's a good comparison. You watch these... Uh, on a double feature. And it's hard to fit into. They're both hard to fit into a box. Yeah. I wonder while you're talking, I'm going to look at IMDb and see what they, what IMDb categorizes it as. Um, Cause they will have, you know, categories for it. Something I was looking at about this characterized it as a cult film. Um, I'm surprised I had never heard of it. I, you know, the fact that it's Scorsese, the fact that he won Best Director at Cannes, the fact that it's a 1985 movie, I just, I'm like, how have I never even heard of this thing? Mm-hmm. 
Because it's definitely so the, worth a watch. I mean, I'll jump right ahead to my recommendation. I think you okay. should check it out. I mean, it's a weird date night movie. But, I mean, if you're both kind of into Scorsese, I, I think that'd do it. There's more entertaining comedies, for sure. The main keywords for IMDb are mistaken identity, black comedy, Soho, Man- Manhattan, New York City, female nudity, and paranoia. There's not a bunch of female nudity. No. In it. A little bit. Uh, again, it's it's also this kind of, you know, you have this, and I don't know, maybe my life has not been that interesting, but you also have this... this uh, movie thing of where he just keeps meeting these attractive women and you know he has and they're all interested in him for some they're all reason interested like they're in all just, interested in him i'm like he's just wow. kind of this regular guy you yeah know. there's nothing um, particularly exciting about i this mean guy. maybe that's a you know a, the he's presenting a male fantasy or something but but everybody else that he meets is also kind of crazy too you know so um but you you had brought up griffin dunn and i don't know that other than uh american werewolf in london i don't know that i've ever seen him in anything i mean i know he was he's an actor that i'm aware of but can you think of other griffin dunn movies that you've seen i cannot again i don't i mean it's not that he's he's really good in american werewolf in london it's not that he's not a good actor i just there's something about him that didn't stick with me i was like i don't care it's like i'm having a really hard time and i'm like i don't care bud good luck yeah Maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe Scorsese thought he was great. And, you know, uh, uh, Leo was too young to be cast in this. You know? So, uh, but it, it's also kind of this, you know, they do this a lot in comedies. I always think of the, did you ever watch, when we were kids, did you ever watch the show Newhart? With, you um, know, where Bob, Bob Newhart had the. Yeah, I mean, not religiously. And, you know, he's like the straight man and everybody else in that show is insane, basically. You know, he's kind of the only normal person. And I, I kind of wondered if he was going for that a bit here where it's just sort of like you said, it's just like he's this regular guy and he just encounters all these strange people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, it would be interesting to hear somebody who has like deep lore on this movie because it's such an odd duck. It's so competently made. You know, nothing in a Scorsese movie that I've seen feels arbitrary. Yeah. Doesn't feel like, like, oh, and then we'll get from here to there and we'll figure out and we'll show some, you know, some stock footage feeling stuff. Nope. You know, every shot he does feels very deliberate. And there's some shots in this that I feel right at the beginning when we we come in to meet Griffin Dunn's character, and um, he's sitting at his computer with the big clickety-clack beige keyboard and the little black screen with the green cursor on it. Um, there's this sort of dolly shot that comes swooping in say, through the office, you know, and it's mm-hmm. it's such an exciting shot. Mm-hmm. Not that this is the first of shot of its kind, but there's something about the pace of it and the way this thing comes swooping in that really sets a tempo and it kind of comes in and swirls around and we find them. And there's so much personality in the camera that it kicks it off. It ends with that same shot where we find him and then it sort of backs out serpentine like. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's 
It's so interesting, that shot. Like, Scorsese has come up with camera work that whether or not it achieves precisely what... It's hard for me to know if my experience of it is the experience that he wanted me as the audience to have or not. But what is undeniable is you're like, wow, that's original. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that particular shot. Yeah. You know? Uh, There's another shot where he's at a sink and he's splashing water on his face. And instead of having it, uh, you know, uh, horizontal, he has the, the camera tilted like this. Um, which I thought, I just thought that was, you know, and it's just a two or three second shot, but I thought that was really, you know, that really stood out to me. Yeah. Too. It's just a very simple thing, but, but tilting, you know, it, it, it changes the perspective so much. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have a ton to say about this. I, I think I've said what I have to say about it. I do mm -hmm. think it's worth a watch. I'm delighted to have found you brought this to the table and it was a movie about which I had never heard of, but now I'm glad I've seen it. I don't know that I'm going to rush to see it again, but I wouldn't avoid it. If somebody was, like, Oh, I really want to watch after hours. I'd be like, Oh, okay. I'll check that. That's a, I'd love to hear what you think about that. I'll check that out again. I think I would see different stuff on another viewing. Yeah. Like I, like I said, I, I had seen this cover a lot on prime or whatever. And, you know, and I think, like I say, I think I probably saw this in the video store as a kid. I wouldn't have known Martin Scorsese, you know, then probably. Um, but I just, I would see it and it just looks like a silly comedy. Right. Yeah. And then when I realized that it was Scorsese and it, you know, it seen a little bit of talk about, it. I don't know if I said this already, but it's a 7.6 on IMDb with mm. like 74,000. Um, but it, it's, it's interesting to watch a film from a, a director's career that, you know, he has all these other uh, films that have gotten all kinds of acclaim and just you, nobody ever s discusses this. So, but it I is it interesting in that regard. It's interesting how the expectation that gets set from like a movie poster or a trailer affect your enjoyment or your perception of the film because i think right if, if i just sat down and said all right this one's called after hours and watched it i don't know at the end i think we would have had the conversation like what would you call this movie right would you call mm -hmm. this a comedy but the fact that it does have that poster that kind of three o'clock high poster and it's the big you know, feminine fingers, with red yeah. fingernails. And they're his, like his head is the fob of a stopwatch right. and his neck is all twisted. Like she's twisting his, you know, he's all twisted up. It does look like, you know, an eighties sex comedy. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it, it sort of is that, but it's, it doesn't really conform to that. And I think, I kept expecting or I kept looking for it to somehow fit that mold. And I don't know that I don't know necessarily that Scorsese was trying that hard. I think the script did that and Scorsese just took the script and made the movie he wanted to make. I don't know. I can't. I'd love to hear him talk about it. Yeah. I wonder um, if there's YouTube's interviews or something we could look. Yeah, up we should have. Uh, 
I guess maybe done a little done bit. Done our basic be homework. To see what he, <laughs> I know I didn't really realize until fairly recently. This was another thing that I saw on Twitter that um, he had a really bad cocaine problem at one point. Mm. And I want to say it was around the time, I think it was before they did Raging Bull. And I guess he was in the hospital and um, Robert De Niro went to see him. And I mean, like he was, I guess he was in really, really bad shape. So I don't, I don't know if he was, the cocaine thing was done by this point or not. I don't, I don't really, cause mm. I think what was Raging Bull 1980, I think. Yeah. So this is five years right. later and so yeah. you know, maybe he'd gotten straightened out, but. I don't but yeah, know. I would, uh, I feel kind of the same as it's like, I don't have a lot to say about this, but I, I think it's a really interesting film and I enjoyed watching it. And I definitely, you know, people who, I, I think people, uh, with a lot of different tastes, you don't, cause like I say, I'm not into the kind of hardcore Scorsese outside a taxi driver. Um, and I like Cape fear, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see a you know really great director doing a comedy, um, and also you know if you like '80s movies, uh, you know it checks off that box as well. So yeah, I would definitely recommend this. I think if you like New York City movies, yes, this is a really interesting New York City movie. Yeah, I'll tell you something funny. Uh, you talked about the that it was like Mohawk Night or whatever. The first time that I went to. Um, New York City, and for to for people who haven't heard the show before and aren't familiar, we both grew up in West Virginia in a town of about thirty thousand people. So New York is you know a little bit different. I went and um, met with a friend of mine who was going to law school there, and we get in at like two in the morning. We check into our hotel, and we call her or she calls us to you know. Uh, to say, you know, that we're there. And she's like, do you guys want to go out? And we said, okay. And uh, so she takes us to this this bar called uh, Voyeur. And it's all of the, um, the all of the tables had um, little cameras, like little screens and cameras. So it was like in a joystick. So like you could look around at other people's tables, like if you wanted to talk to them or whatever. But at any rate, we're just dressed in like T-shirts and jeans or whatever. And she's like, oh, um, she's like, I didn't realize this was this is fetish night. So like everybody's dressed in leather and stuff and, you know, uh, and like a lot of probably either. I mean, people dressed in drag or trans people or whatever. And I was with my, I went there with my sister and my brother-in-law and we stayed for a little while and like we were having fun, but she, she thought we were uncomfortable. I don't know why. Hmm. And, uh, it was just really funny because we just stuck out like a sore throat because everybody's <laughs> dressed in leather and, you know, we're but just they let, and they let you in. That's interesting. They let us in and nobody cared. I mean, nobody, it's nobody paid City. any attention to us or anything. It was just like you know, whatever, but, uh, there was another, there was a scene in this movie where he goes into a bar and it's, it's, this is in the middle of the night and you know, the bartender is a character that he has repeated interactions with, but and I can't one, remember what that guy's name is, but he was a character actor. That yeah. Was a lot of stuff. There are, there's the only other two people in the bar are a couple, a couple of leather daddies that are just down mm -hmm. at the end of the bar in full, like with the mustache 
and the leather vests and the you know the cycle helmets and they're just sitting at the end of the bar making out and mm-hmm. it's not a part of the it's it's apropos of nothing it's just new york city nobody bats an eye and i thought for 1985 that felt really very new york very ahead of its time yeah uh compared to the rest of the country when there was such a aids scare and a you know a kind of a gay scare in general Mm-hmm. Um, a sort of generalized homophobia nat- nationwide to just have, I mean, in the script it might have been a couple at the end of the bar or whatever, but he's cast these two very specific, very identifiable, mm-hmm. um, what in most of the rest of the country at that time would have been really unacceptable counterculture, but was just yeah. part of the New York City landscape. And there were a lot of little moments like that in this movie that I thought were really ahead of the time for 1985. And I appreciated yeah. that about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I um, thought it was like 1992 or something. And then I looked back at it, I'm like, this was 1985? Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, you're definitely right. It's There are some... And like you say, it's not like there's, there's any... Uh, like they're beating you over the head with some kind of political message or something. I mean, it's nope. just... It's just there, you know, and yeah. No. So. so you had also said that you wanted to talk a little bit about Spider-Man, not to do a whole episode on it, but you've now seen the newest into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't know if I had enough, like I say, to do an entire episode. I Just to come right in. So I thought it was fantastic. And... It was interesting. I went last Saturday and I went to like 1130 in the morning and I thought, oh, nobody's going to be there. It was packed. <laughs> you know, it was full of families with kids and stuff. And, um, and you know, the, the first one is a really great movie. And I think there's been so much talk recently. So kind of another topic that I wanted to talk about a little bit is the Flash movie bombed. It only... Uh, it, it was at some point they were projecting like, you know, well over a hundred million dollars, like 120 and it only did 55 million. And, uh, there's been a lot of talk about how bad I haven't seen it, but there's been a lot of talk of how bad the CGI is in it and, and all of this. And, you know, really in this day and age, bad CGI. Well, and I read to, to go off on a little of an aside, I read a, or I watched a video of a guy who had worked for a, a company that does CGI no longer does, but he was saying how there, you know, there are so many movies being made now that need CGI in them. And we're, we're talking live action films. And the guy said the, you know, the, the, uh, animators or whatever are being so overworked. And, you know, like the guy was saying, like, you have all these, this slate of all these Marvel films coming out and they're coming out so quickly, you know, they're cranking out the movies and also they have to crank out the CGI. And the, the guy said, the we've talked a lot about this, you know, the kind of disposable nature of these films. And the guy said, you know, people have talked about the CGI being really bad. And he said, the studios don't care because hmm. they just figure people are going to go and see it. They're not looking at these as movies that you're art anybody's going to care about necessarily in 20 years it's right. just you know it's the widget that they're making it's and popcorn. they got to make money for the shareholders it's just or popcorn yeah yeah so contrast that this spider-man what is it spider-man in the multiverse 
I mean, it's something multiverse. <laughs> Somebody's going to be like, is like screaming at us right now. But well, anyway, I mean, it is a movie, and the, and the first one is the same way that seems so lovingly made. You know, these are, you know, people, I just thought, man, the amount of work that went into this, and the budget's $100 million, which contrasts that with The Flash, it's $200 million. But it just, the movie, it just moves, you know, but not, it, it's really fast-paced, but it's not like you can't tell what's going on. And you have um, generally the the very realistic CGI animation. I've never been that crazy about because I like cell animation, but this is a combination of the two kind of. And the different universes have different styles, <laughs> and it's just. I mean, this movie. I don't know if I said this already, but it's a work of art. You yeah. Know, compared to, okay, we're just making this disposable product to get you to watch the next thing. And this ends on a cliffhanger to a degree, you know, it's it literally says to, to a degree continued. to a hundred percent degree. I mean, I yeah. didn't realize we were getting, I went to see it with my daughter and we went to a 10 AM show and it was a $5 ticket. Oh, wow. That took me right back. I'm like, I'm never going to yeah. go to a movie theater at, at any other time, but before noon again, like yeah, $5. Exactly. We had the place mostly to ourselves, And I'm like, that's, and that's fantastic. Ah, that's, if I'm not going to have a burger and a beer in the theater, then I'm going to go at 10 AM. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. It's so beautiful and it, there's so much care and it really it is very fast paced. And I, that's not just the choreography and the action, that is also the way that it plays with the styles. It moves very fast. And I had the thought a number of times watching it that if it was any faster, it would lose me. And I'm sure they spent a lot of time going back and screening it and being like, is this too fast? The, the experience that it was for me in some of those action sequences was so smart because it felt like I was hanging on by one hand. And that's very much Spider-Man. Like, mm -hmm. Spider-Man is constantly in free fall, constantly shooting a web. Like, it always just just feels like that's part of the joy of the character of Spider-Man to me is that it, it is just by the seat of the pants with this incredible confidence of, I can do both, right? Mm -hmm. it, is, it is one of the most charming characteristics of that character. It's youthful. It's naive. But he also manages he also manages to save the day again and again. So it's this incredible bravado and confidence combined with there not being a plan, <laughs> you know? And I, I really felt like the experience of watching this movie made you feel like Spider-Man. It really made yeah. you feel like you were one of the Spider-Verse Spider-Men and mm -hmm. women. <laughs> Yeah. I loved, love, loved it. I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. No. There's clearly going to be a third movie that's the, the conclusion to this one. I like this one better than the first one, and I love the first yes. one. There's um, been a lot of talk of this is the, you know, could this be the, is this the Empire Strikes Back of animated movies, you know, where it's a a film that, you know, it, it elevates, you know, what was... Uh, you know, builds on what the first one was and even, you know, elevates to a greater degree. Another thing that I thought about is talking about these movies like The Flash, you know, where there's so much talk about superhero fatigue, but uh, 
this has already made some, some like four or five hundred million dollars. But this and, is such a breath. I mean, it's about superheroes. It's about a yeah. superhero, but it's such a breath of fresh air. It's really about a kid, right? It's really yeah. about Miles Morales and his particular struggle. And it's so brilliant because it is all he is Spider Man in his universe. And Spider-Man has got this fatal flaw, right, that he can't – the thing that makes him Spider-Man is he couldn't save his uncle. But he feels like he could have. He he could have. He should have been able to save his uncle. But it's the fact that he didn't – wasn't able to save his uncle that drives him to, you know, this whole with great power comes great responsibility. That's what lands that hook for him that he needs to – everyone he saves is him trying to retroactively save his uncle, right? Mm-hmm. And – and yet Miles Morales has a very specific individual story and is a very specific individual teenager. And we get to meet a number of other Spider-Men and women in this that have their own very individual version. And you feel that, right? So, yes, they're all Spider-Man. And it's so beautiful because it makes you feel like you're Spider-Man. Like, well, in yeah. what ways am I Spider-Man? And it is this incredibly, it's not exclusive. It's quite the opposite. It, it just opens it all up and it's like, what? it makes you start thinking about what's the best in me. What Where are my, what are the my blind spots and the things I, what am I willing to risk? What do I believe in? Mm-hmm. And it's, it was amazing. It's It's a super entertaining animated film. It's a super entertaining superhero film. And I think it's just a really, really original and well done film, yeah. full stop. It's a coming yeah. of age story. It's absolutely brilliant. And absolutely, I mean, if you're into this kind of thing, see it in the theater. So absolutely. You can see it on a really big screen. Absolutely. You know? Apparently, they, oh, they had some the, sound mix that they fixed. And the, the music is fa- fantastic. Yeah, it's great. You know, there's like like kind of jazz music and there's like hip hop in it and stuff. And it's all really great. Um, but I, I think a lesson that, um, that Hollywood could learn here is not to just to copy this, but that, you know, we've had a long, long time that in the United States animation is just, we basically have just had, you know, kind of the Pixar animation and not, I mean, they're fine, but, that's basically just for children. And, and this is also, you know, this isn't like, this is an adult movie, right? But it's, it's a little bit different from a Pixar in that, right? Um, yes, it is, you know, it's acceptable for kids, but also I think this is a movie. I mean, we're adults and we enjoyed it. Yeah. And there were quite a few adult, like there were some guys behind me that wouldn't, kept talking during the movie, but they were probably like in their forties, you know, not with kids. So it wasn't like I was the, I mean, I was there by myself, but it wasn't like I was the only just adult there to see it, you know, not with children. So I think, you know, and the thing, the, the, the thing about, to me, it's a lot easier to adapt a comic book to animation since it's already a, you know, a, uh, a drawn style, right? You don't have to worry about a, a, an actor that looks the part and all that kind of stuff. But and I mean, it, you think a, about like, go ahead. I was just going to say, you think about like a, like a Batman, you know, in this style or a kind of a similar style. I mean, it would just be huge. Well, Spider-Man as a, you know, Batman is not a playful character and, but mm-hmm. Spider-Man really is a playful character. 
But I think that you, what you said about it's just so smart to make an animated comic book movie and draw upon all the different styles that we've seen yeah. over the years in comics from the very, um, you know, the very graphic novel at, all the way down to there's a they have great fun with it. There's one little reality in which it's Lego and it's Peter Parker and his little mm-hmm. Lego thing. And he goes, boop, <laughs> he just yeah. changes. He just his arm just goes up and then he's. I love, I love, love, love what Chris Miller and Phil Lord did with the Lego movie and that universe. And so that's a little homage to their own work. But it it really, they they have enormous fun. Like the idea of like, well, it's a comic book movie and there's so many different styles. So why don't we really find a something to celebrate in all of these different facets of, you know, the canon of what is Spider-Man over the years and they really do, and you don't have to know the deep cuts to no. appreciate the 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 variety of the diversity of it in there. It's really you even something. don't necessarily have to have seen the first film. That's you know, right. they give you kind of a little recap at the That's beginning, right. but but yeah, like you're talking with the different styles they have. Like there's a punk, a punk rock <laughs> Spider-Man, and his style is like a zine, like from the '80s. You know, where it's kind of photocopied looking you know and then you have the indian i loved the indian spider-man i thought he was really great why would you say chai tea chai means tea you're saying (laughs) tt yeah (laughs) you want me to save some room room in your coffee coffee for cream cream (laughs) because he's a he's a wise ass spider-man teen like he is also yeah that reality is awesome that was um that was Manhattan as though it was Bangladesh or something. Do you remember the name? It gives you the title card of what they called it. But it Is was it Mumbai, I think, maybe? Mumbai uh, Hatton or something like Mumbai that. Mumbai Hatton. And it yeah, was yeah. it yeah. was so creative and so interesting. Yeah. I mean, as much as again, I've got plenty of superhero fatigue and blockbuster fatigue, but sure. again, this shows, you know, my thing that I say all the time is that when people are like, Oh, you know, big blockbuster movie you just turn your brain off this isn't a movie that you turn your brain off it's really really well written it's super engaging i mean this is and the first one won oscar for best animated film and and i mean you know this is i don't know that i'll see a movie this year that i'll enjoy more than this yeah you know i think it's better the first one had great fun with it i think that what the success of the first one bought these guys, and this was not directed by Chris Miller and Phil Lord, but they they were involved, I believe, in writing it and they produced it. Um, I think what that the success of the first one bought them is faith, and they said, yeah. "Okay, you know what, well, guys, we're going to give you, we're going to greenlight two more movies, Let's see if you can make better ones." And they were like. Yeah. And then I think they were wise enough to more or less get out of their way. I mean, the studio is going to be a studio, but it's like, look, we gave these guys money to make a first one and they knocked it out of the park. So let's let them pick their bat and pick, you know, like, let's, let's give them as much Lee waves again and see what they do. And I just think that, I think it's, it's a richer, more complex, more engaging, more emotionally affecting it takes everything the first one does well and it doubles down on it in great ways. And then it fleshes out the story of Miles Morales beyond just what what it, what it means to him to be a member of his family. 
and it, it it explores what it means to him to with his relationship but to being spider-man mm-hmm. you know yeah oh, and yeah. usually that gets kind of glossed over or more diluted down to like great power great responsibility like oh if i if I have a girlfriend, I'm endangering my girlfriend. Oh, what am I going to do? And it doesn't go a lot deeper than that. It plays with those feelings, that storyline of Spider-Man again and again. This really gets existential about it in ways that I thought was like, that is meta. Like, that is really interesting without ever stopping being entertaining. I mean, we're going on and on. Like, we didn't spoil it. That's a big thumbs up from both of us. Oh, yeah. For this movie. And I mean, I would say, you know, this is certain to get nominated for uh, Best Animated Film Oscar. But why box it into uh, just animation? I mean, give it a nomination for, you know. I doubt Best it. Picture. I, I think. I mean, it gonna, won't happen. Yeah, it won't happen. It, they're going to keep it because it's so animated. They're going to keep it. It won't animation. happen. But just from a technical achievement, you know, I mean, I agree. it's just it's just incredible. You I know? agree. Yeah. So, awesome, awesome. Very high thumbs up. Do you know what we're going to do next? Have we talked about that at all? Well, I had thought about uh, it's a movie that I have always wanted to see ever since I was a kid and never, um, I've never seen it. I don't know if you have or not, but uh, orcas are very popular right now. They're, Aren't they? They're in the news because of orcas attacking uh, ships, huh? uh, yachts, and things. And so I thought we'd watch the movie Orca with Richard Harris. Have you ever seen it? No. It's basically, I mean, I think it was created as it's a Jaws, Jaws ripoff. Sure. But uh, but I've always wanted to see it, and I thought that would be fun. Okay, let's do Orcas. We're talking about Orcas a lot. <laughs> let's do Orcas for next time. Or is it Orca yeah. or Orcas? It's Orca, yeah. It's orca. just one Orca. Um, oh, and I didn't say with, uh, back to After Hours for just a second, it only made like $10 million. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, it's hard for me to imagine that being a financial success. I mean, people walk out of being like, what was that? Not that that was bad, but what was that? I don't know that those movies, you don't go home and tell your friends, oh, you got to see this, right? It doesn't, you got to see after it doesn't snowball. So Orca is a, was, came out in 1977. So, um, so yeah. Orca. Um, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That's our handle. We are on the socials. Like and subscribe and send us some comments, some feedback, some suggestions. All of that stuff. We love it. We love to hear if from anybody's you. a big after hours fan and sure educate us. Let information us know what we, we would love to. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you for joining us as always. Um, and Orca for next time. So, unless you have anything else you'd like to add. I think that's everything. We will talk to you all next week.